it can still be a date if you order Raisin Bran. Tiffany Maxwell, played by Jennifer Lawrence from the 2011 film Silver Linings Playbook. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward. And as far as I know, this is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and thus Silver Linings Playbook, the book. We are on episode 95, and I don't, I don't know how we didn't get to this topic earlier. I don't know why we haven't been here the whole time. The whole time. The whole time? The whole time! It's not a very special episode today. It's a very typical episode today. It's uh, typical in... The fact that we probably should have covered this one way back when I started this whole podcast series. It's kind of amazing because uh, the quote at the beginning of the, uh, the show you might have noticed is my favorite quote from Silver Linings Playbook altogether, the movie. It can still be a date if you order Raisin Bran. Uh, we have discussed many times, numerous times I believe why that is my favorite uh, quote from the movie, why it basically single-handedly is the quote that made me fall in love with the movie, if not for that movie. We've discussed the significance for those of you that are just joining us on the first episode, for, the, for the first time on this episode. Uh, there is a tie-in. Robert De Niro is a character that was in Silver Linings Playbook. He was also in a movie called The Irishman, and he also eats Raisin Bran in that movie. I'm, he doesn't eat Raisin Bran in both of the movies. It's a reference. We'll go over the facts for anybody who this is their first time listening to understand why this is a terrible podcast and for everybody who it's their last time listening. Things we've talked about before about Raisin Bran, why I love this, because this quote uh, so encapsulates a whole bunch of different feelings. It is one of those lines where it's like a great, it's great from a writing perspective. You have a line that shows a lot about the character in the subtext about what's going on and where... Pat's mind and motives are, and it also is a retort by Tiffany, by Jennifer Lawrence, uh, that is showing us what her character is going after, posturing, playing. It is it is a line that has several different levels in literal and metaphorical meaning, as well as uh, also just having several different levels of like how you can take it as a writer as you have the written words but you also have a subtextual plot going on so it's very impressive writing now i thought that because that serial is the most important thing that like none of us would be here you know without without uh reason brand being invented that there was nothing more appropriate to have an episode on than Serial. So let me go over some facts so that we're all on the same page before we even start. If you are not familiar, and I'm sure you are, because if you're listening to this podcast, I am not the first podcast in the world, and podcasting was really made possible because of Serial. Serial was a true crime podcast that still exists, even though they haven't had an episode in, in a number of Years. It was a true crime podcast that debuted on uh, October 3rd, 
2014 and runs through the present. It is hosted by Sarah, and I believe her name is Koenig, Sarah Koenig. Um, and I, I'm, only, I'm only saying I think I remember that because I think she announces it at the beginning of every episode. Now, Serial was a groundbreaking, uh, long-form, investigative journalism true crime podcast that kicked off in 2014. And what it was was it was a show that was sort of like a mini-series that was developed by This American Life, which is one of my favorite sort of audio documentaries hosted by Ira Glass. Uh, this American Life has been a long-running NPR show. And that is like a mini-documentary where uh, Ira curates anywhere from, uh, you know, one to four different stories that are broken up into segments that are all related by a story theme, but not necessarily related. And so I believe that's where this whole concept of long-form podcast comes in. That Serial was one of the first truly viral, groundbreaking, and widely listened to by mainstream audiences long-form podcasts, which, like its name, uh, its name infers, Serial was a serialized show. That means, for those of you that are not familiar with the concept, the TV writing terms, I'm using TV, but I'm sure it applies to radio too, probably applied to radio first, that serialization is when you have basically a continuing narrative where one episode leads into the next episode, or at least there's continuing plots that happen across the span of different episodes. Like Breaking Bad, like Game of Thrones, serialized. It, that's also, you know, you get you get concept of miniseries, which is a complete story, but it's not told over one episode of something as opposed to, and the opposite of serial is episodic, where a lot of sitcoms, where episodic TV shows, um, there can be sort of combinations. You can have serialized series that sort of have one-off outlier single episodes that might not relate to all of them, though usually it's very rare that there's not going to be any, any way that it ties in. There will usually be something that you learn character development, backstory, it might not have anything to do with the current plot that is going on, but it definitely has something to do with the character's world or, or setting that we have been, you know, um, seeing addressed in the, in the series. Now, the opposite we talked about is episodic, and, and most of your sitcoms are episodic. It shows like Seinfeld shows like the the Drew Carey show. I'm not sure that that's um, game shows. I guess would be episodic unless they're having a mini series. Um, sometimes they have like a college week or people from different specific vocations or fields. Uh, Seinfeld is one of the best examples because the the writing thing, sort of the principle behind Seinfeld being episodic. What makes a sitcom? is that the characters never develop. They're terrible people the whole time. Uh, so so even, even a show like Friends would be called, considered episodic, even though it becomes a little bit serialized because you, you sort of have plots that continue on. The reason there's going to be a little bit of serialization in every show is because the, you, you want uh, some sense of continuity 
you you do want to invent a world in which your audience is rewarded for paying attention and watching previous episodes. So you drop hints, Easter eggs, reminders, callbacks to things that have already happened, and you set small goals, plot devices, plot expectations, storylines of things that will come up. Show like Gilmore Girls, heavily serialized. Um, uh, show so, and the the difference. And here's the thing. So episodic, even though episodic is supposed to be different than serialized, it's a little bit like a hybrid because it's not truly a, sh a show usually with no continuity, whatever. Even though usually the characters have reset every episode, meaning if they learn a lesson at the end, they're, they're going to start being a terrible person at the beginning of the next one. Family Guy is a great example of this. Futurama. Uh, the Simpsons, right? Okay, we'll go with Simpsons because it's such a classic example of of TV and been around forever. Also, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, uh, we'll go with always sunny in Philadelphia. The characters always have an issue that they're working out over the course of the episode. Uh, one of the ones I always remember is the the. Um, gang, uh, like, they deal with, with the gun issues, where two of the characters break off and they have a storyline about uh, thinking it's too easy to buy guns and find it's really hard, and then two of them uh, think it's really hard, but then have way too easy of a time. And then they meet back in the, the middle, all having sort of learned a personal lesson, but by the beginning of the next episode, which originally when it wasn't streaming, and it was uh, most people were watching these live on FX, Weekly, you would find the characters not having developed in any sort of way, and they were liable to make the exact same mistakes that they would have the first time. So I think the only, tr like, when, when people say episodic as opposed to serial, sometimes what they're thinking of actually is more like an anthology show, um, where every episode would be a completely independent story that may or may not have relation to anything else. Um, sort of a weird example, but that really works would be like Black Mirror. Black Mirror is an anthology show. Even um, Love, Death, and Robots, which is kind of a weird example because I think, like, that was, that was, it does work, but it wasn't actually conceived as an idea of a Well, I'm saying that. I don't know, but I mean, it, there's all these independent things made by different People collected, curated. Um, and we're not super interested in any of this. This is not the point. We're a Silver Linings Playbook podcast. So let's get back to talking about Serial. Uh, it was developed by This American Life, and as of July 2020, is is now owned by The New York Times. Season 1 of Serial, which debuted in 2014, was really focused on investigating the 1990 murder, 1999, excuse me, 1999 murder of Heyman Lee, who was an 18-year-old student at Woodlawn High School in Baltimore County. Season two focused on uh, the on Sergeant on U.S. Army Sergeant Bowie Bergdahl, um, who was an American soldier serving in Afghanistan. One night he walked away from his guard. Post, and he was kidnapped 
by the Taliban and held for five years. And then he came back. Um, season three is... Season three is an anthology. So it's actually a terrible... A terrible subject for a show that is literally called Serial. They tried to tie them together. I I listened to some of season three, about half of it. It's really great. This whole podcast is fantastic. Like for as much as this podcast does not deserve to be listened to, Serial deserves to be listened to. But season three, and I'm just realizing this in my very head right now, is not only not serialized, it is episodic, perhaps even an anthology show. Also, I can't confirm that anthology is a alternative to serialization, episodism, anthologicalism. Um, I just, I know individually that it... That's what it means, because, because season three uh, takes on different cases within the Justice Center complex in the Cleveland area. So actually, maybe, okay, so maybe it is just episodic, but it's not serialized. So, because it sort of reminds me a lot of a show like Law and Order, where you have the same characters, you sort of have similar characters on these things, but they definitely have... Um, different Monsters of the Week, which takes us to the concept of Monster of the Week show, which is different from... I don't, I don't know what all these TV terms... Again, let's get back to Serial. Okay, uh, Serial also... Serial has been such an influence on pop culture that there have been a number of parodies of it, uh, and you know you really made it in pop culture when people start to parody you, right? Um, one... This is... In no way, an exhaustive list of I, of the parodies that exist of the podcast serial. This is just the ones that I was aware of, and I have not even seen or heard all of these. Uh, there was a a 2017 show on Netflix called American Vandal, which was sort of a parody of true crime documentaries, but they very specifically apparently go into uh, sort of referencing a, uh, a serial as the inspiration for the true crime phenomenon. There was a wonderful podcast, if you like funny parody podcasts, not everybody does, but uh, The Onion had a podcast miniseries called A Very Fatal Murder in 2018, which fantastically lampoons the concept of true crime podcasting in a way that is very, like, and it's very, uh, very much targeting serial specifically. I don't, and I don't think, I mean, targeting in a mean way, I mean, targeting out of love because serial is so iconic. And then also you have a recent TV show on Hulu called The Only Murderers in the Building that, that has apparently features a podcast parody of serial it's called All Is Not Okay in Oklahoma. I have not seen all the only, only I've not seen the only murderers in the building, but I would like to because it looks like exactly the kind of thing I would like to see. Uh, anyway, the the cultural impact and influence of serial 
cannot be stated. And um, basically, it proved it proved to people that long form podcasts could be successful. Right. It, uh, and, until then, mostly there had been episodic podcasts that existed. Producers basically thought that people only wanted to listen to little quick bites and they were modeling their podcasts more like radio, morning radio talk shows, radio talk shows where episodes could be just listened to without having to listen to a series. People fell in love with cereal and in fact so much that it basically has spawned a whole movement of true crime podcasts, which I believe would not exist if Serial didn't make people interested. They listen to it so fast. I remember I had never really heard of podcasting. I didn't understand what it was in 2014. And all these people, when I was, was doing comedy, were like, have you... Have you have you listened to Serial? And I was like, I don't understand. Have I listened to... I don't know. I was used to people saying, have you watched something? But uh, Serial was good. And then I... But basically what happened was I went on a pretty long road trip. I went on a road trip to drive through all 48 of the connected U.S. states in a matter of 10 days on a trip that... Um, Brian and I, shout out to Brian Malice, B. Malice, hope you're doing all right. Man, haven't talked to you in a while. We got we to gotta connect soon. Um, get you on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we went on a road trip to just, we, need, we needed an adventure and to clear our minds a little bit. And so we just set out to drive everywhere, but we also had a lot of time to listen to the podcast. So we listened to basically everything, and that was a good time to catch up on Serial. Um... We also listened to uh, S-Town, which was really great. Um, we listened to Myths and Legends. Actually, I think I've discussed all of this when I talked about some of my other favorite podcasts on a previous episode of the podcast. Um, it has sparked not only uh, the, the like basically popularizing true crime podcasts, I am pretty sure that that had the secondary and tertiary order effects of popularizing and strengthening podcasts as a medium altogether. And also this case has been continuing. It has, it has inspired actual uh, legal actions, investigations, and I'll tell you again, um, you know... We've been we've been getting into like way too dangerous territory where we're talking about way too many legal things, and I, would, I just I just want to make sure our podcast is on the up and up. So again, we are prefacing that we're not um, we are not libeling anybody, we are not slandering anybody. Everyone that we bring up has been presumed innocent until uh, proven guilty, and I still don't know the legality of if they have been proven guilty if we have to assume that they're guilty or if we can presume they're guilty without assuming they're guilty 
This is... I really should, should try to veer away from legal legal things because I'm not comfortable in this in the legal space. So I guess one of the solutions is that we we could use a legal expert on the team. We probably won't need them too often because eventually we will get out of talking about um, murder cases uh, and get back to talking mostly about Silver Linings Playbook and the Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, because I'm excited. I, I had a goal for this year and it's not, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but let's Let's look at it for next year, because I think 2023 would be the perfect year to have the first quick con. And, and part of the reason is because I was planning on doing it in Alpharetta, but I don't live in Alpharetta anymore. Um, and so I have to find a new location in which would be able to uh, host a convention for Matthew Quick fans from around the country. Uh, and we'd probably need to be able to hold at least five, five people in this event space. Um, yes, I would like it to be 35,000 people. I would love to be as big as Dragon Con uh, post-COVID restrictions because I think they're up in like the 80s or 90s during a normal year and they had to cut down to half the amount of people. But sure, sure, I would love to be the uh, executive producer of a, of a convention where people are flying in from around the world. Um, however, I think the amount of content that is available for Silver Linings Playbook might, might be a little bit thin at the, at the moment. But like I said, right? So there's a movie. There is the movie, Silver Linings Playbook. There's the book, Silver, The Silver Linings Playbook. And then there's the podcast, the Silver Linux Playcast. So if you think about it, I comprise 33%, a full third of the Silver Linux Playcast sort of extended universe entertainment industry. So if this podcast develops an equally big following as the film or the book too, and any of those people would like to pay $249.99 plus sales tax and a service fee to attend, you know, at, at a hotel or convention center, um, a, a convention where they could meet other fans of these three things. And, and some of the events I was thinking about, we could have costume contests, we could have uh, a dramatic fan readings, I think I would invite the author, Matthew Quick, and the director of the film and screen adapter, David O. Russell, every year. And here's the thing, it's okay if they don't show up. Um, we could keep inviting them every year and have placeholder guests. We could, tr we could probably try to get some of the, the smaller cast members to attend, maybe somebody that was an extra in the film. Unfortunately, you know, I would love to do this in, in the Northeast at the actual diner that the infamous film that this episode was supposed to be. I'm getting super distracted. This has nothing to do about quick, look for, look for quick con potentially in 2023. Also maybe 2024 if I don't get my act together, but also it's a good thing. Cause like, Hey, I'm making plans two years out right now, um, which is a very, very silver lining e playbook thing to do. 
Now let's get let's get back to the topic that I really wanted to talk about today because this is so exciting. Cereal, right? I told you that none of us would be here right now if not for cereal. Uh, not only because of the movie not having the impact on me that it would have if they had not had that line. I probably would have liked it, but I wouldn't have loved it, and I'm not exaggerating. Have you ever been watching something passively, and then, and then a line takes place on the screen, and it sort of like snaps you, even, even if you were watching it already, a certain line will just connect you to it, and from that moment on, you're watching the rest of it in a totally different light. I think I had watched the first 20 minutes of the film up until the Raisin Bran scene, and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's great, but I prob- I know how this is going to go. It's, it's not anything that's sort of like a earth-shattering, mind-blowing, uh, paradigm-shifting film. And then they drop that little line where they just talk about a, a specific brand of cereal. Is it a brand of cereal? We're going to get into that, that in one second. But, um, you know, they, they said that line and it just gave me such a connection to the characters. I'm not kidding. I'm not saying this funny. They, they took a, a a man's character, and he could have been, he could have been this simple, two-dimensional character, and in one, one brilliantly adapted screenwriting line, they gave him a relatability. I think that's part of what what this was about too. I did not. I was not able to see myself. In this character, I was watching a character I liked until he used a reference that I felt that I could understand. And then all of a sudden I understood, oh, there is, there is some of me in this character. And then, and then Tiffany retorts with, it can still be a date if you order Raisin Bran, which is the other half of that equation. It's another perspective. It is... I know I'm sounding ridiculous, but I promise, I promise that it says so much about um, the, the dynamic of, of uh, men and women and romantic uh, relationships and personal dynamics and social interactions in that silly little line. Now, something that I was super excited to find out this week was... Raisin Bran. Raisin Bran has quite a history to it. I was wondering, for legal reasons, whether I was even allowed to be saying Raisin Bran. Actually, that's... Okay, so this is how this came up. I am working on writing uh, a script right now for my own masterpiece. And last night I wanted to include a a brief line where I was just going to mention cereal sort of like as an inside meta joke. And, And then I was thinking... Huh, I wonder if I can say Raisin Bran. I wonder how they got away with Raisin Bran. A lot of times when you make a small um, small independent film, you don't want to include any brands because you like you don't want them to think that they're endorsements or no liability. And so I, I just, what I looked up was, is Raisin Bran a trademark? It's not. It was. It was at one time. But it is no longer. And it, there is... There is a reason why that is more interesting than just saying that the trademark expired. It's not way more exciting than that. It's only a little bit more exciting than that, but it is worth uh, mentioning. So 
the the reason that it was it was trademarked by uh, Skinner, according um, Skinner's Raisin Brand was the first brand. Skinner's Raisin Brand was the first raisin brand, raisin brand brand. I'm gonna try that one more time. We're gonna do this correctly. Skinner's Raisin Brand was the first raisin brand brand. And it was introduced to the United States in 1926 by Skinner Manufacturing Company. And for 17 years, Skinner uh, had ownership over the product's name until Kellogg's and Post began to sell their own versions of Raisin Bran. And Skinner got concerned that they were losing money with grocery store sales, so they filed a cease and desist and tried to get the other companies to stop producing Raisin Bran. This went to the U.S. Court of Appeals of the Eighth Circuit, and what they what they declared was that nobody can trademark Raisin Bran because Raisin Bran is simply the ingredients of the product. So I think we know how that turned out for Skinner, right? Who eats Skinner cereals in the morning? Not I, said the anyone that was alive after 1926 and the whole... So, so that's why you can go to the grocery store and you can buy Post Raisin Bran, you can buy Kellogg's Raisin Bran, um, but you can't buy, um, you can buy General Mills Raisin Bran, but you can't buy Post and Kellogg's and General Mills Lucky Charms. You can't buy Post and General Mills, uh, um, and the third one, uh, Golden Grams, Cinnamon Toast. The, those, well, you know what? I was going to say that. I think, go, so Golden Grams actually makes sense that that is trademarked because Golden Grams is a description and a title. You can't sell Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but maybe you could, you could sell Cinnamon, you could sell Crunchy Cinnamon Toast. Getting into the weeds. All right. So Raisin Bran was, was trademarked by Skinner and, um, and then it was struck down in 1944. Uh, so basically, um, Skinner uh, tried to, to trademark it and tried to keep the other companies from making Raisin Bran. And then on, in December of 1941, the U.S. enters World War II, which had been going on for a number of years. We were actually pretty late to the game. And then uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals, Eighth Circuit, shut down the trademark. And then you have uh, D-Day, and then you have uh, VJ Day, and then it's 2022. And the Silver Linings podcast is here getting you up to... Oh, also in 2014, Serial started. The podcast, not the food, right? And now we're up to date. Several three years ago, there was a documentary that uh, was added to HBO Max called "The Case Against Adnan," which is an updated docu series about the case that is discussed in the serial podcast about Adnan Syed, who was charged and eventually convicted in a court of law for the murder of Heyman Lee. Um, we have not done any independent research on this podcast, so we can't verify whether he did it 
or not, but considering that the legal system has already put him in jail and uh, that he's in the midst of an appeal, I would say the odds, the betting odds, the Vegas odds, the DraftKings odds are he was convicted. Even though I'm not sure if that actually means it was his fault because there wouldn't be all this podcasting and documenting about him if he wasn't. Let's get back to to the thing that actually blew my mind more than the trademark thing about Raisin Bran. So, did you know it's not called Raisin Bran everywhere? There is actually other countries that refer to it as different things, and there is a reason why, and we're going to learn way too much about raisins today more than you ever wanted. Why? Because you probably didn't want to know anything about raisins. But that's why you tune in to hear me dissect every little word that has to do with Silver Linings Playbook and the Silver Linings Playbook, so eventually we'll have enough content to eventually have a quick con. See, it's all, it's all part of a master plan I have. So here is the thing about Raisin Bran. The ingredients, Kellogg's Raisin Bran contains the following ingredients. Whole grain wheat raisins, wheat bran sugar, brown sugar, syrup, malt flavor salt, and assorted vitamins and minerals. Cereal's vitamin D3 supplement is made from lanolin, and that is an animal product rendering it as a non-vegan breakfast cereal. Good. Vegans don't deserve to have a raisin bran. Um, raisin bran is a is somewhat controversial cereal because it is, they like to refer to themselves as healthy breakfast cereal because it's high in fiber. And honestly, that's one of the worst excuses. You, you, you know, you've seen the commercials, two scoops of raisins and Kellogg's, Raisin Bran. All cereals, don't they always, they always have, the end of the commercial shows a bowl, and then there's like a pitcher of milk and a glass of orange juice and two pieces of toast with butter. And they're like, part of a complete breakfast. One, whoever got that breakfast in the morning... Who had such a wonderful childhood that, like, one, the sun is up. I don't remember the sun ever being up when I had to get ready to go to school. It was, like, a million miles from my house, so it was dark. So if they were showing me having breakfast when I was a little kid, turn off all the lights. Two, have a grumpy mama who doesn't want to wake up that early um, and prepare a breakfast for her kid that, like, probably should have been able to pour himself a bowl of cereal in the morning anyway. Right? Why are we sending our kids to school to go learn about things that are not even going to be able to to help them, you know, get a good job and maintain uh, any type of existence in the in the modern society? If if your kid is too dumb to pour themselves a bowl of cereal in the morning, you have to do it for them. School is not where they need to be going. You just homeschool them on how to do simple tasks like pouring a bowl of cereal. Also, orange juice, uh, you know, there's always a glass of orange juice, which is probably like the most expensive fluid in the entire universe. People always complain about the price of gas as sort of a barometer of, of you know, how the world economy is going. But have you ever tried to buy an orange juice at McDonald's during breakfast time. It's like $99 a gallon. I am exaggerating a little bit. It's not $99, but it's definitely way more than it needs to be, considering they don't even have good orange juice. 
Last time I checked, they had Minute Maid orange juice, which came from like a syrupy concentrate. You, I, I sort of understand charging a premium price if you're getting like an actual fresh squeezed orange juice because that the the labor that it takes to do that um, and the amount of getting uh, juice you get from an orange <coughs> is going to make it ex expensive. But if you're just and then two pieces of toast. Also, that's another, that's more carbs. Toast with butter is carbs and dairy. Putting milk on your, your brand cereal in the morning is also carbs and dairy. Why are you doubling up? That's not a complete breakfast. That's a redundant breakfast. I think you should either get toast and butter or the cereal. See what I'm saying? Like, it, you're, you're just redoing. And then for the really fancy, like, part of your complete breakfast, sometimes there's, like, two pieces of bacon. Whoever got bacon on a normal day? That was, like, a special occasion thing. That was, like, I don't even know if mom didn't know how to make bacon. That was, like, a weekend thing. If dad was home, he would make bacon, like, occasionally. Occasionally. Two. Um, I, I realize a lot of my idea of what a complete breakfast should be is inspired by sort of like cartoon pictures of it with a, a, two sunny side up eggs, two strips of bacon, a glass of juice. And so let's actually, let's look, okay, let's look at what some of the hotels give. Cause I think that's a real, that's a working person standard of what constitutes a complete breakfast. Cause a lot of times you stay at hotels and one of the perks they try to give you to try to make um paying paying the one night's rent for a room worth it uh unless you're staying at one of the okay there's there's my favorite mid-level range hotel where they give you a hot breakfast and it's free if you go too much higher they have a restaurant where they actually charge you more money to try to make more money which is sort of weird because if you think about it i feel like it's the it would make the most sense to me, and I realize I'm not the authority on on the hospitality industry, um, but like, so if you stay at a really cheap motel where the room is, let's say, twenty five ninety nine a night, and they, so they're cutting down all the costs so that they can provide you the room as cheaply as possible. That would be the perfect place where you could wake up in the morning you know, sometime between 6 and 10, and they'd be like, hey, would you like to pay $12 for a complete breakfast to start your day off? And you're like, yes, I like to make that voluntary choice because I wanted to prioritize saving money on the room last night, but now I want to make this impulse purchase of spending another $15 on breakfast. I'll tack that on as an additional charge, but that way, because it's optional, you don't have to raise the price of, of an actual room stay. As opposed to these super fancy hotels that you know you can pay like $300 a night. I actually heard a recent story and I don't want to embarrass anybody that might be listening to it. But somebody who is one of my very close friends might have talked about paying $1,000 for a one night stay in New York City. Was breakfast included? I don't think so. What? Breakfast was not included. That's the place you should get a free box of Raisin Bran. They should give you the whole, whole big, 
box of raisin bread. Not like the little individual kind. Like, you get a quarter of a pig. You get a five-pound Boston butt if you're going to spend a thousand dollars. And I'm not, I'm not trying to call anybody out. But anyway, that's my feelings on breakfast. So, so if you if you're familiar with hotel breakfasts, um, one of my favorites is the Holiday Inn Express because sometimes they they usually have eggs and then a meat. Uh, sometimes it's link sausage. Sometimes it's patty sausage. Sometimes it's bacon. Uh, sometimes it's ham, and then sometimes they have a biscuits and gravy bar, and they have some muffins, fruit, several juices, milk, and coffee available, right? Now, I am a big fan of the biscuits and gravy portion of that, um... Then you have sort of the, uh, another tier down in which they have uh, not the hot stuff, but they still have a spread of like cold, cold breakfast, um, toast, bagels, jam, maybe some cottage cheese, yogurt, basically everything that is available at the, the hot breakfast, but with none of the hot stuff. Sometimes they have eggs, and sometimes they don't. Um, and then you have the sort of lowest tier of breakfast, which I am not ungrateful for. Please do not, not make me sound like I am not appreciative of what you might get at a hotel. The best food is free food, right? It's just sometimes there is such a thing as better free food and not as better free food. There's definitely the hotels that I've stayed at where, you know, they just, they have a cereal bar, a couple boxes of cereal, the small individual serving boxes of cereal and some milk and maybe a pitcher of orange juice and some muffins, like a blueberry muffin or so, and it's available. Uh, which we got into all of this because Raisin Bran is commonly referred to as a healthy breakfast cereal because of its high fiber content. But according to Consumer Reports, Kellogg's Raisin Bran actually has low nutritional rating. In 1991, Kellogg's complained that the guidelines for the USDA's Supplement Assistance WIC program did not allow for the purchase of Kellogg's Raisin Bran for containing too much sugar. Currently, with 17 grams of sugar, it actually has a higher content of sugar than Lucky Charms, Reese's Puffs, and Cocoa Krispies, which are all known as sugary cereals. On the other hand, Kellogg's uh, Sultana brand received 4.5 stars out of 5 on the Australian government's Health Star rating system. In addition to plain servings of Kellogg's, Raisin Bran provided 80% of the daily value of magnesium and 6% of the daily value of potassium both important nutrition, nutrients for the body. Research suggests that eating commercially produced raisin bran containing sugared raisins produces acid, which can lead to cavities, while homemade raisin bran created by adding plain unsugared raisins to bran flakes produces less of this acid. Now, I got specifically distracted when I was learning all these facts by... The, the interesting point that 
the cereal is called Kellogg's Sultana brand in Australia. And that is when I learned that it is, in fact, just a cereal that is called Sultana brand in certain other countries. Um, in the UK, in Australia, New Zealand, uh, there is a bunch of different countries um, that, that very specifically it is called that. Um, you can tell sort of like, it's, it's like the Anglo alternative countries. And so I got curious. I, I sort of made the assumption in my head. I got why it was called Sultana brand, but I wanted to find out why specifically. And so here is what I found. Uh, Sultanas are a white, pale green. They're, they're described as, a, they're called a white grape, but the, you know, they're the pale green seedless grapes. In the U.S., they're referred to as Thompson Seedless. In U.K., they're, can, they're called Lady to Cavalry, and um, they're called Oval-Fruited Kishmish in Iraq, Iran, Israel, Palestine, and India. Uh, this brand of, this, this type of grape is called Izmir Azumu grapes, which means grape of Izmir in Turkey. It, uh, they were originally grown from an area that was called Asia Minor. This is before the founding of the modern world, basically. Uh, the area that was later known as the Ottoman Empire. And the raisins made from it are often referred to as Sultana raisins, shortened to Sultanas or Sultanis. And they are larger than, than uh, Zanti currants. The history of the Sultana raisin was imported to English-speaking worlds from the Ottoman Empire from what it's named, which is the feminine form of Sultan. Turkey and Australia are major producers currently. American Sultana grapes are almost, in, are, uh, almost always Thompson seedless, a name that refers to William Thompson, a viticulturist who was an early grower in California and is sometimes credited with introducing the variety to the U.S. According to the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations, the two names are synonymous. Virtually all of California raisins, um, as of 2000, 97%, and roughly one-third of California's total grape area is of this variety. It's the single most widely planted variety. The Ottomans took the Sultana grape variety to the islands of Crete in the 19th century. Thompson Sultana raisins are small, sweet, and have a golden color. In the U.S., most raisins are, including those with typical dark brown colors, are made from the Sultana grape, the Thompson seedlings. And the term Sultana refers to the golden color dried grapes, which can also be called golden raisins. And they're marketed by SunMade, a California-based company. Any other grape may be used to produce golden raisins, and any kind of golden raisins from any kind of grape may be marked as sultanas. Moreover, the golden color may come from a treatment with sulfur dioxide rather than traditional drying and preservation methods. Most non-organic sultana grapes in California and elsewhere are treated with the growth-inducing plant hormone gibberlin, and other, not the band Gibslin. That's, uh, that's my band, um, not the chemical because uh, my band's not growing, not at all. Um, so, 
yeah, that's that's way more uh, way more than you probably ever wanted to know about great. Now, really quick, before we run out of time, I definitely wanted to discuss one more person that may or may not be the Black Dahlia murder. This week, we're going to talk about Robert M. Manley, who is who went by the moniker Red, Robert M. Red Manley, like the color. Uh, he it was a suspect because he was the last person that was actually seen with Elizabeth Short before her disappearance. Um, he was the LAPD's top suspect right after the killing, but he took two polygraphs, and and after a sworn alibi, he was set free. He identified some of Short's personal effects that were found uh, in a trash can on January 25, 1947, several miles from the scene, including a handbag, purse, and one of her shoes. Uh, he had been discharged from the military, uh, he had a, a case of mental disability, subsequently suffering from a series of nervous breakdowns, and he claimed to be hearing voices. He was committed to Patton State Hospital by his wife in 1954, and he died on the 16th of January, 1986. And they said they attributed his death to an accidental fall. So was it him? I don't know. We could rule it out. I think... I think a lot of times people jump to the last person that was seen with a person. Let's look at this from a, a real person standpoint, though. When you lose something, what do we often do? We're asked to look in the last place. We remember them. Remember the item. And very rarely is that found there, right? So... If it's not, um, you know, there's just so many great possible suspects. And when I say great possible suspects, I mean, I'm not saying that there are great uh, possible suspects. I'm saying there are great possible suspects that, that hopefully they'll find the killer or at least figure out who it was because this happened a long time ago. So a lot of the suspects are not alive anymore. In fact, I'm not sure any of them are uh, because you have children of the suspects that are basically trying to write what is going on with them. So, I don't know. Like, it's... Hopefully, hopefully we'll help contribute to to solving the Black Dahlia uh, case. But if not, that's okay, because that is not our main focus here. We are the podcast, because as far as I know, we're the only podcast that is solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and thus Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Now, I do think I have to clarify that talking about Silver Linings Playbook, and the movie and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book, we are going to venture into territory of sort of tertiary topics, too. That, that means up to three levels removed from directly talking about because yeah yeah we're not gonna we're not I mean this is not an audiobook we're not reading the book to y'all right we're having deep conversations and surveys and guests and to talk about their perspective on the film and the book and then maybe one day we'll even have you know talks about the podcast what the podcast is because like I said we're a third we're a third of the SLPCU. 
no EU extended universe. I don't know. I don't know how uh, you actually categorize that, right? But like we're we're definitely the official podcast on it. If uh, so, I'm rambling a little bit, but I I think it's because I'm I'm just sort of starting to come come to terms with the incredible scope of what this podcast has been doing lately and it's we've been trying to solve a murder we've been trying to solve a 70 year old cold case and that's no that's no joking matter that's not something to laugh about um that's why we don't do the jokes in this segment we don't really do the jokes any of the segments because i'm i'm not talking about this stuff to be funny if you find it funny awesome i hope you enjoy it and you don't feel hurt by the comedy I'm a comedian in my normal life. This is a project of passion. This is where I talk about mental health. This is where I talk about the mental health of fictional characters. This is where I talk about TV writing, about what's going on in my life. And this is where I talk about uh, if we can rule out any of the suspects in the Black Dahlia murder, murder mystery. And I think we've done a really good job reconfirming facts that other people have re- researched by basically we read we read their reasons why they think that these people that we have covered so far either did or did not do it and i think i think it could be any of them so far right cuz like it's it's like the whole philosophical thought experiment of Schrodinger's cat um are you the black dahlia murderer until we know, then the answer is yes or no, right? So until then, all of these people both are and aren't. And in alternate universes, I'm not, I'm not being silly, I'm just saying like hypothetically, we're just trying to extend that thought experiment further to say if there is more universes in which the same set of events happen with different outcomes, then... You know, in some universe, we are probably right, no matter who we guess. And in some universes, we're probably wrong, no matter who we guess. And in some universes, this probably didn't even happen. And nobody died. And that's the universe I wish we lived in, the one where people aren't murderers. But as long as there are, we will be here. No, no, that's, that's an overcommitment. You know, at the end of the podcast, when I start to wind this down, I don't promise that we will be around as long as people are murderers because I think that is too big of a time frame. I don't think even in my lifetime I'll be able to record enough episodes to see the end of the just the flaw of humanity that somebody would ever take the life of another individual. I don't. I I hope one day. That humanity will see in a, a time enlightened enough to not know the tragedy of murder. But to say that we are going to run the podcast for that amount of time is too long. The amount of podcasts we always promise at the end of this podcast is as long as I want to do it. But I can tell you right now, I want to do it for that long in my head right now. But don't hold me to it. But I think, I think, you know... As much as we could take a bet that Adnan Syed was convicted, whether he did it or not, he was, he was probably convicted, and we'll probably be back next week, 
with another episode of the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Until next week, we will see you down the road and Excelsior. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast.